Did you know the research has shown that there are certain kinds of negative communication styles which are so destructive they signal the end of a relationship? Listen in to today's episode as we explore the four horsemen of relationships. You're listening to Midlife State of Mind Podcast, hosted by Aaron Beadle and Belinda Fleming. Two gals who dish on all the challenges and opportunities that come with this middle section of your life. Each episode, you'll find yourself going between laughter and tears as they cover all the topics you need to know about midlife. Welcome back to Midlife State of Mind. We're your hosts, Erin Beadle and Belinda Fleming. Thank you for joining in today for another enlightening episode. We are so grateful for our listeners. Be sure to subscribe to Midlife State of Mind podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if any of our episodes, past or present, resonate with you, please leave a five-star rating and a written review. It means so much to us and it helps us grow our listenership. Well, and speaking of our listeners, I want to give a special shout out today to my hometown peeps in Savannah. When I look at all the downloads that specifically come from Savannah, it just warms my heart to know that you all are listening. So thank you very much. Yay, Savannah. (laughs) So today we are talking about the four horsemen in relationships which most of you probably have heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? It's a biblical reference about when the four horsemen come and it's like the end of times. So the four horsemen originally was, they were described by a renowned relationship expert by the name of Dr. John Gottman. He goes into a deep dive on four destructive communication patterns that can spell doom and gloom for even the most promising relationships. So in our episode today, we are actually going to ride along alongside these mythical figures as we explore how they manifest in real life relationships. We are going to be talking about the first horseman, criticism. Criticism charges into the scene, often begins with just a simple complaint, but quickly can become a personal attack. So we're going to take horses' hooves. Do you hear those horses' hooves coming, right? We want that visualization of these mythical horsemen riding up onto the scene. All right, number two is going to be as criticism diffuses, what might show up next would be contempt. And contempt is one of the most destructive of the four horsemen. It's actually the greatest predictor of relationship failure. Yeah. Contempt usually can involve sarcasm in which some of us speak fluent sarcasm because we use that as a coping mechanism. But in your most intimate relationships, oh, it can really be a deal breaker. Well, and I think really quickly with sarcasm, like our family is sarcastic, but not in a situation where there's a a disagreement. It's more playful. kind of playful sarcasm. Right. So there is difference between those kind of sarcasms. Okay. As criticism and contempt retreat, guess what bubbles up to the surface? Defensiveness. So defensiveness gallops in on its white stallion and you think, oh, here I am. You know, and guess what? Your defensiveness, you need to take off your armor. You need to lay down your shield because that isn't going to behoove you <laughs> in, 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 in 
intimate relationship. Right. And then, of course, the very last one, finally stonewalling, rides in as the last horseman. This is when one partner completely shuts down and withdraws from the conversation, from the relationship. And we're going to reveal today why stonewalling happens, what are the consequences of it, and we're going to really lay out some strategies so that we can line up open communication instead of going to these default negative patterns of communication today. So criticism. So criticism does differ from a complaint. If you have a valid complaint about your partner, it is okay to express that. Like you left the toilet seat up again or That's you, information. Right. Yeah. But when you make it a personal attack on the person, you always forget right. to do blah blah blah. We need to use I statements instead of you you you. So the antidote to criticism is to talk about your feelings using the I statements and express it a positive need. So you could say, let's say it's the toilet seat instead of, what are you so dumb? You can't even remember to put the toilet seat down. Instead you say, hey, when you leave the toilet seat up and I get up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom, I feel unsafe because I sit down <laughs> on the cold porcelain and my butt touches the water, right? Exactly. And, and that's very specific. And honestly, being specific in a relationship is way better than using generalizations. Right. So you have to not make it personal. Like you're not personally attacking the person. And then the second one, contempt, which is when you attack somebody with a sense of self with an intent to harm them or insult them. And like you said, it can be verbal or nonverbal. So verbal would be using sarcasm or name calling and nonverbal ways would be rolling your eyes, which Mm -hmm. if you have a teenager, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you've probably had some of that contempt because they all kind of go through that stage. Name calling is another one that's really a negative pattern uh, for contempt. It shows up as bad behavior if you're feeling contempt towards someone. Absolutely. The antidote for contempt would be to build a culture of appreciation. And so one of the things that I often say about being married for a long time is that I always try to focus my attention on my partner's positive attributes and qualities and find gratitude for those rather than because I think whatever it is that you choose to focus on, if if you're focusing on the negative, then that becomes your focus and that's the forefront. Mm -hmm. So finding a way to counter contempt with looking at all of the positive things that your partner does. I think seeking common ground too, finding areas that you can agree and noting where you have shared values because otherwise it comes across as an attitude of superiority and disdain and nobody wants to feel like they're matched up with someone that thinks that way or or has that air about them. It just, it's very defeating. So it's important to avoid belittling comments and and really... And passive-aggressive. I think is is a bit of contempt because you're not expressing your true feelings. You're trying to like say, oh, well, don't worry about me. Like put yourself as a martyr. And what Dr. Gottman says is that one right there when he has done lots of interviews of couples over the years when he developed the four horsemen of relationships, contempt is like the most deadly. It is like poison to a relationship. You will just poison your relationship down to, to its roots. You know, the other ones I think are bad habits. Right. But contempt is like a disease. So 
So defensiveness is a response to perceived criticism where you deflect blame or responsibility back onto your partner. It often involves a lot of excuses and it often involves counter complaining, which sometimes people might even call that gaslighting where someone's trying to tell you what their reality is and you're shifting it so quickly that you're not acknowledging their reality. You're shifting it to something different. That gets a little bit heady. It's hard to wrap your brain around it. Well, I think an important way to think about it is if you say yes, but like if your partner is giving you a complaint and you can't receive it as valid, you say yes, but you do this. Mm -hmm. You know, well, the reason I do this is because you do this instead of like accepting their, yeah, like you said, you have your armor on, you got your, your sword up and you're ready to go to battle and you're like, yes, but you did this. Well, no, instead of receiving what they tell you with an open mind and heart of really taking a step back, almost like you're being just a judge without... Observer of the situation. Right. We do that in yoga too. Yes. Let yourself be the observer and have compassion for the person who's sharing your partner, who's sharing this complaint with you and listening. Defensiveness, I think, is just a human, it's a natural human reaction to feeling attacked, right? And so that's why when we do complain, we need to use I statements, not saying you do this to me instead of saying when you do this this is how it makes me feel and I don't know if you mean for that so defensiveness is where we just we're like a cat and we get our, our hackles all up and we're ready to go on the defense and we're ready to deflect like no it's not me we well, do that in friendships too I, I do think that the minute that defensive muscle is activated in your body in your brain whatever you can no longer participate as an active listener you have now checked out you're you aren't hearing them you're actually just blame shifting or counter complaining. It's all these things. And so when we recognize that we're doing that, we have to have that self-discipline and this capacity to love greater than we have the capacity to want to protect ourselves. It's tough. That's hard though. I have a quick little story about defensiveness, which is not an intimate relationship, but was with a neighbor. I had to go over and tell her something that her child was doing to my child. And I was very diplomatic about it. And as soon as I got the words out of my mouth about it, immediately her response was, well, five years ago, your son was mean to my son and that's why he's that way. And I'm going... You've been saving that that long? (laughs) She's like, and I was concerned. And I said, well, if you had been so concerned, why didn't you come to me five years ago and say, here's what I witnessed or here's what we experienced. Instead, you wait until I come over here to say something that your son is doing that was inappropriate. So it's, it's just our natural reaction as parents, as partners, as friends. I think it's a it's a human reaction and we have to really work hard at not going into that default setting of defensiveness because I find myself doing it often. We all do it. Yeah. You know, because you, you just are like, oh, I don't like what they're saying and it starts making you feel very uncomfortable and you wanted to say, yes, but, yes, but. No, just say, I hear what you're saying, which leads us into stonewalling. If you need a moment If somebody is, say, maybe coming to you with a complaint and you can't receive it, instead of completely shutting down, say, you've given me a lot to think about. I need to take a few minutes. Taking a break. 
That is a big ask, but it's also very important to maintain the integrity of that relationship. It's huge. It's huge. Right. So when you stonewall, you not only now you have your armor built up, now you've built a giant wall that can't get through to you because you withdraw to avoid the conflict, which conflict is never fun. We've done episodes on conflict and conflict resolution. And the silent treatment is never a good default setting in any relationship, whether it's your neighbor, whether it's I mean, disengaging from really bad behavior is different than the silent treatment. Stonewalling, silent treatment, shutting down and withdrawing completely emotionally is what we're talking about right now. And those are really just, you're self-sabotaging when you do that. You're hurting yourself just as much as you're damaging the relationship. Well, and it's okay to, to say, I need a few minutes to think about this. You know, I hear what you're saying. Can I have a few minutes to think about this? Let me process it and then can we pick back up the conversation in 15 minutes? But it's funny because I know I've mentioned this before in other episodes that I am in a lot of midlife groups and what some of the things that I see when people write in about asking people's opinions or they want input is people who live with someone who they will have the silent treatment for weeks. They won't talk. That's very unhealthy and that is not what we're talking about, about, hey, give me just a break. I need a little break. Stonewalling is actually very destructive. And over time, it can even be destructive to the person who is stonewalling. Like you think you're hurting the other person, but you're just as much damaging your own emotions, your own ability to move forward with compassion, with empathy. So how we communicate and the patterns of communication that we create, it isn't that we choose to go to these default negative. It is shown from his research, though, that typically these are things that do show up a lot in relationships. And so we're intentionally today bringing and shedding light on these so that we can even think about what is contributing in my own life to why I have this behavior or pattern. So it goes back to a learned behavior for some of us. A lot of our communication experiences were patterned after how we saw our parents interact. Even caregiver, if it wasn't your parent, if you spent a lot of time with a babysitter or you spent a lot of time with grandma or aunts and uncles, right? If you grew up in an environment where you were criticized a lot or where there was a lot of defensiveness that you, even if you didn't like it and you knew it didn't leave you with a good feeling, we can't help in our humanness but to pattern after it. Well, also because it's the familiar. Mm -hmm. So even when it's something that we don't like, it's a familiar feeling to us. And so it's just easy to slip back into that. And so even as parents, I know I've talked to friends who've had parents who have given them the silent treatment when they didn't like what their child did. Mm -hmm. Like if they misbehaved. So criticism, maybe they were criticized, but then the parent would just shut down. Well, what's interesting is societal norms and cultural influences also play a part in generations of parents. Across a generation, if every kid was parented a certain way, but then now this current generation is parented differently. I don't think I hear very much about timeout chairs anymore. That was a a societal norm back in the day, you know, that people thought that was the best thing to do. And maybe it worked with some children, maybe it didn't work with other children. Well, I think it's unique to each child because for some children, 
children, timeout wasn't a punishment. Like for my kids, we didn't do a lot of timeouts, but I would say if they were having a meltdown or something and they didn't want me to be a comfort to them, do you need to go and just have a little bit of time by yourself so that you can calm down? And I never put my kids technically in timeout or like the nose in the corner or anything like that like they do in school I certainly didn't because they wouldn't even have stayed, right? I mean, going to your room and closing the door if you need some private time, but actually like making them sit in a chair in the corner, that never worked with a timer. Yeah, it never worked for my kids. But what's interesting, we're not saying any of these are right or wrong. It's just an example of societal norms and how that plays a part in how we all communicate. So yeah. So most of it is you think learned behavior, all of the four horsemen. Not all. I believe that there are four aspects to our behavior. One is evolutionary psychology, which is what we talk about with the perceived threats. And mm-hmm. so the amygdala. Yes, to protect ourselves. So that has evolved over centuries. Millennia, yeah. Yeah. Learn behavior, how we learn from our parents and our caregivers would be number two. And number three would be social norms and cultural influences. And then number four, we have to be accountable for our own self. It is individual mechanisms, you know, individual personality and coping mechanisms that we do have control over. So it's all four, I think. And I think it's important that while all of these behaviors can have some roots that are from past experience and from upbringing and all of that, we still cannot use that as an excuse. For bad behavior. Yeah, for staying in this bad behavior and perpetuating unhealthy relationship dynamics. Yeah, I think we all have to take accountability at a certain point for our own selves. And I don't care how you were raised. I don't care if you grew up poor. I don't care if you grew up with a screaming family. You know that's not healthy. In today's society, there's just too much information out there available for us to evolve and grow and step outside of the way our patterns and learn new patterns. I agree. Blaming parents and blaming childhood experiences is not productive. No. It really isn't. You get stuck in the trap of acting like you're not accountable and responsible for your actions. Well, that goes back to that victim mentality of that defensiveness. Poor me. No, life didn't just happen to you. You have control. So ultimately, we're hoping that we can all recognize when these four horsemen show up on the scene and we can take that moment of pause and go, okay, I can keep doing what I've always done, which hasn't really gotten me very far because here I am circling that same mountain again, or I can replace this destructive pattern with something that is healthier using the strategies that we talked about, active listening, being specific instead of giving generalizations when there is an issue. Using I statements. Yes, using the I statements. Focusing on the good qualities in the person that you're having the issue with instead of focusing on their negatives. And then really just taking time to honor your own journey of self-improvement. I mean, we talk about this all the time. Every day, we're not in competition with anyone. We're not keeping the score of rights and wrongs. At least I know I'm not. I know you're not. Every single day, you get a clean slate. You get to live that day to the best of your ability. Maybe we don't do it perfectly and we learn from whatever is happening around us. And the more we're in tune to why we're doing what we're doing and the more that we actually want to grow and improve our relationships, it will happen. It yeah. will happen. So we can trade in those horses for like a fast moving car. <laughs> exactly. Right? Like a Porsche or something. <laughs>
Yeah, I feel the need for speed instead of this galloping horse coming up upon yes. me. Well, we hope that today's episode was enlightening for you guys and that you got something out of this episode. Maybe that you will notice your patterns in your relationships, your intimate relationships, your friendships, and notice if you do any of these things and how you can counter them. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. Our podcast is a place where we can inspire each other to make positive changes and embrace all that midlife has to offer. We'll see you next week. Bye now. Bye. This has been an E Squared production.